Welcome to Have You Seen This, the world's only podcast about obscure, overlooked, and misbegotten visual media. All discussions will be spoiler heavy. You have been warned. And Tim. And before we get started, I just want to tease something very exciting for the audience since we're coming up on our 100th episode of Have You Seen This? Can you believe it? 100 episodes. Uh, That's right. We've been doing this for 30 years. Yes. And it shows in every line on our faces. But uh, we're going to not rebrand, but just kind of put a fresh coat of paint on everything. We're going to have a new logo. Uh, spruce up the website a little bit and uh, we're also going to be offering new patreon tiers i know that um, many of you have joined us at the the two dollar level um, but we're also going to have uh, higher tiers so you can give us more of your hard-earned money i know right i know you've been salivating to do that um, and we're also going to have some video streams, which are going to be very fun. Um, we've been figuring out kind of the technical issues on that, but um, it's going to be a fun place for us to all get together and talk about all this weird, dumb shit that we like to talk about. We, yeah, we can only do this because of listeners like you. Exactly. Cheaper than a cup of coffee. Yeah, and we are not going to be doing pledge drives or any of that shit because we're not a bunch of fucking freeloaders like those assholes over at pbs so there you go i know trying to change society for the better or whatever it is they do with antiques roadshow yeah so stupid but without further ado uh we're gonna be talking about a fun one today and just for this occasion we've got our maybe our favoritest guest in the whole wide world it's mike rosen how's it going mike it's going good thanks for having me Thanks for coming on. Don't let Bill Corbett know that Mike's our favorite. <laughs> oh, he doesn't have to know that. Now, Mike... Um, <laughs> he doesn't care either. Yeah, since uh, and I asked you on here for a very specific reason, uh, since you are a gender-fluid individual, I wanted to know your opinion of the cross-dressing scenes in this movie. Mm. Mm, extremely problematic. <laughs> in what movie? <laughs> Um, what are we talking about? Oh, uh, we are we are talking about uh, 1988's uh, Industrial Light and Magic demo reel. <laughs> <laughs> I had such I believe... a fun time at the trade show watching this. Yeah, <laughs> I believe we're uh, we're, we're going to be looking at uh, Willow today. Um, yes. The the movie uh, named after the the dwarf of the same name. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, now Tim, um, yeah. did you watch this movie hundreds of times as a child and teenager, or were you not normal? <laughs> I, I watched it once. I remember about three things from it. Um, and I do have to wonder, did, uh, what's his name? The guy who plays Will did. His Warwick name is Willis. Yeah, oh. yeah. War, yeah. So Warwick Davis, like he was already an Ewok. He was in like the barred him again for episode one did he have uh pictures of marsha lucas editing a new hope or something like 
Why is he seem to have George Lucas over a barrel here? <laughs> well, I think when you watch Willow, you realize that he's just that good. He just, yeah. Like, like we've seen him in the makeup. We've seen him in the droid body. Let's see him just, you know, out and about being a regular actor. Well, it's funny you mention it because uh, this part was really gifted, especially to Warwick Davis by executive producer George Lucas himself. Um, as Tim mentioned, Warwick Davis did play an Ewok in Return of the Jedi. He was 12 at the time, but he made such a positive impression on Lucas that Lucas wanted to give him a starring role. And See, that no ended such, up being No Willow. such thing as small parts, only small actors. <laughs> as Billy Barty could tell you. Um, yeah. And as it happened, Lucas had had this story in mind probably since... The 70s. Um, now, let's slow down when you say he had a story in mind. <laughs> well, uh, would you agree that Lucas has always surrounded himself by, surrounded himself with helpful, talented, creative individuals? D- despite his own, like, best interest, yeah. Or despite his, despite his own vanity, yes, he has occasionally brought in people more talented <laughs> than himself to improve his work. Yeah, and I think that he made the smart choice by delegating the directing duties on this one. Uh, this time it went to Ron Howard, uh, TV's lovable Opie. Yeah, yeah, the uh, the uh, dad of that uh, sexy chick from um, Jurassic World. Oh, yeah, he does have a hot daughter. Yeah, really thick one. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Mike just woke up. interesting just think that's interesting yeah yeah so i didn't watch willow a lot like i i (laughs) it it watched over me you know i i remember the scene with the finger i remember the scene of um uh the what kilmer (laughs) finger yeah (laughs) the 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 parable of the the oh yeah 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 okay i remember that i remember um mad mardigan uh him coming on to uh to what's her name because he was in uh, top Gun and Top Secret. You could say he's a top actor. Uh, and then the uh, disturbing part with the pigs. Those are the three things that I remember about Willow. Mm. Over to you, Jen. <laughs> That's funny because you seem to have been relatively Willow resistant. And um, I have to confess that, uh, you know, since this is a podcast about kind of odd and misbegotten media... The reason yes. I chose this one was because I had remembered that it had been a flop when it okay. came out in theaters. Uh, that's, and, yeah, that's kind of its legend now. Well, in spite of that, uh, I knew I really loved it as a kid. I've I've seen okay. this movie many, many, many times. Um, and most of my friends also really loved it as children and teenagers. And... The impression that you get, uh, I you know, I saw people in Mike's mentions on Twitter being like, "Oh yeah, like that movie's amazing. I love that movie." Blah blah blah. Um, and then when I started researching it, uh, as it turned out, like yes, this movie was somewhat of a disappointment, but that's because they were going by Star Wars standards, you know, the George Lucas standards. Um, it did make its money back in theaters and and some extra. Uh, it just wasn't a blockbuster, um, right. and then well, it, it, it it didn't lead to like eight more 
sort of middling movies. Right. Um, and it also did really well on home video, which um, I think is kind of where it's where, where it belongs. Comes from. Yeah. You know, but like people, you know, people really enjoyed watching this fucking movie on VHS. I know I taped it off TV and watched it a bunch of times. Um, and, you know, as Tim mentioned, like, yeah, it didn't, at first lead to a franchise which i think is you know kind of in the you know up the high watermark yeah lucas's mind because uh he did conceive of this as a trilogy now when this didn't make a billion dollars at the box office um Mm -hmm. he ended up farming out the rest of the story in novel form so uh there's like a a sequel called shadow moon and then shadow something and and to to cross pollinate with uh shadow moon was one of the books reviewed by 372 pages we'll never get back the you know mike nelson and connor Lestoka, who's been on the show uh podcast where they read books they aren't uh they doubt they're going to like and they hated that book that book is is grueling and gruesome well yeah. and it's shadow and it's barely moon? tied into willow yeah huh. they read shadow moon huh. and yeah. it is a slog so I have not read that book, but I read the synopsis of it um, mm-hmm. after watching Willow. And my main takeaway is, you know, all the stuff that you really like about Willow, all the all the stuff that's kind of fun and neat and mm-hmm. awesome. Lighthearted. Uh, yeah. it, it's all fucked up in Shadow Moon. George Lucas is like, what if what if what if instead of being like a lovable, like everyman farmer, Willow became like a huge muscled badass and also he <laughs> forgot that he, what if he also forgot that he had a wife and kids and just wandered around like a wandering warrior? And also Mad Mardigan and Sorsa, you know those characters that you love? What if they just died? Yeah, yeah. So, so it's, it's hardly even the same thing because not only that, do they say, oh, my name is, you know, Willow Bumblefuck or whatever, <laughs> uh, but call me by this other name that is completely different and we're, we will never reference the original character again. Yeah. It's like, all right, like you're, you're straight pretty far off the path. Like, I mean- uh, Val Kilmer seems to be like kind of the, I don't know, like the the fun part of this movie is sort of you know the Han Solo of it. So yeah, mm-hmm. to kill him off and you know any love interest as well, you're doing yourself a, a pretty solid disservice. And just like uh, my recollection of you know the book, I didn't read it because I I'm illiterate. Uh, is <laughs> that like just like the the amount of like gore and rending of flesh and like internal turmoil and like the use of magic is just it's unbelievably gruesome and and off putting. I mean, when I was talking to Connor about it, he's like, he was talking like he had PTSD from reading it. It's it's a book that you're reluctant to pick up a second time. You know, I I read up a little bit on uh, Lucas's biography because I was kind of curious about his upbringing. And um, I guess he hid all the drawings that would have, like, gotten him taken to the school psychologist. (laughs) <laughs> when he was a kid, because the book, because the the bios I read didn't say anything about him being like, uh, you know, a weirdo who was obsessed with like gore and mayhem. Uh, he was pretty much what you might expect if you've ever seen uh, any of the supplemental materials for um, the prequel trilogy. Uh, you know, a very nerdy kid, um, never got any taller than five foot six. Uh, didn't get pussy, uh, really loved cars and tinkering with cars. And, um, 
grew into a kind of reclusive adult who doesn't really enjoy working with people, but is very interested in things. You know, I'm feeling really called out. Here. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tim, you should have loved this movie. Oh, no, wait. This movie actually has like a spark of soul, unlike the prequel trilogy. <laughs> Well, the prequel trilogy has nothing going for it. I will give it that. Yeah. Now, um, I'm going to make it crystal clear. This podcast is a prequel hating podcast. Uh, well, we, we don't, we don't anyone who's seen the prequels bullshit revisionism. Yeah. yeah like you, you need only watch them to agree with us. Like there's, an, they are indefensible movies in any form. <laughs> and so. that's right. That's right, Tim. And uh, yeah, I, I have to say I was a little bit trepidations about revisiting this one because i hadn't watched in years probably since like you know a couple years after college and i remembered you know watching it again at the time this movie that i loved as a teenager and just been like oh this isn't very good um so uh, you know i i fired it up today and i didn't know what i was gonna expect and you know while i'm not gonna say that this is a an unheralded classic of the high fantasy genre i enjoyed myself and i need i want you guys to tell me like am i just like not objective at this point am i like all the people who were like well i saw phantom menace when i was three and i thought it was the greatest thing ever and i still think it's great Uh oh yeah now (laughs) now we're in immoral relativism here well, the, the Willow Defender attacking the prequels. <laughs> well, I have seen this movie I now. Willow. Brother, brother against brother. <laughs> well, I've seen this movie now three times in my life. Uh, once mm-hmm. as a child, and I loved it. Once as a young adult, and I hated it. And once yesterday. <laughs> and I have to say, it is uh, not a good movie. It is not an ambitious movie. But there is a lot to like about it. So I enjoyed it. And I would say... In the pantheon of sort of late 80s uh, family-friendly fantasy movies, this is, it's way below The NeverEnding Story, but way above Legend, and I'd say about on par with The Explorers. Oh, okay, yeah, because we do have a continuum here, because, you know, they're also, you know, there's just that. I mean, if, if you're to rate it somewhere between, like, you know, Lord of the Rings and Quest of the Delta Knights. Like, how does that rank? <laughs> <laughs> well, I uh, I do think that when you watch this film, you can see, you definitely see the J.R.R. Tolkien influence. How uh, mm-hmm. uh, Lucas is like, we're going to make uh, Lord of the Rings for a new millennium. Not millennium. Uh, decade, yeah. I guess. It was more like... Yeah. <laughs> um, a new generation. A new generation. I mean, The Pepsi generation and the Willow generation. That's what defined the 80s. Well, they did shoot this in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, it's got that going for yeah. it. Um, well, you know, in it's... fact, and um, the reason for that is, you know, Lucas really wanted some, you know, arresting scenery, um, so much so that he really wanted to go shoot in fucking China, um, but the government wouldn't let him do it. Um, what the kind of consolation prize was that he was able to send some photographers over there who uh, got some kind of background scenery that they were able to later composite in. Um, I think mm. in I think like Bavmorda's castle has like a Chinese background or something. Hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah, um, yeah. There's some pretty good scenery in this film. It didn't really stand out to me the way that it does in the Lord of the Rings, but I don't think they really. Yeah. You know, they don't. They don't really go in for the sweeping vistas in the same way. Well, I mean, that I don't. I don't know if that's due to Ron Howard who. Uh, uh, 
and I do want to talk about Ron Howard a little bit because I just really want to know like what uh, the kind of consensus is about him as a filmmaker because it isn't as though he hasn't made good films but um, I mean he also made A Beautiful Mind which is one of the stupidest fucking movies I've ever seen um, I know he did Apollo 13 and in fact when he when he did Willow he was coming off of Splash and Cocoon both of which were massive hits while uh, Lucas had just taken a huge L uh, putting out Howard the Duck. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, Howard the Duck. Yeah. But um, his uh, his sexy progeny aside, how do we feel about Ron Howard, the director? Uh, I, I Well, Cocoon and Splash are movies I remember really liking. Cocoon is a pretty affecting film. Um, so I'd say he's he's good. Seems like he has a. He seems like he has a talent for uh, drawing emotional uh, emotion out of um, material that could very well just be inert. Because uh, I could see Willow being a, a, a more prequel-like project in uh, less capable hands. Oh, but even yeah. George yeah. Lucas's hands. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. even though this is, you know, this is there's nothing deep about this movie. The characters aren't like super well defined. They're pretty much as defined as they need to be. You know, we know Willow. He's he's like an everyman. He's a farmer. He's a family man. Uh, man Morgan is a charming rogue. You know, Sorsha is kind of Spitfire. But they all have little character moments that. So you watch it and you get each one of them, and they're small moments, but they really make them all come together. And I feel like, yeah, if, if Lucas had been in this, he'd be like, why are, why is Man Martigan and Willow talking about what to feed the baby? There's no special effects in this scene. It's boring. <laughs> Whereas Rod Howard is like, you know what? No, we're going to have Willow and Mad Martigan have this discussion about feeding the baby black root because it illustrates both each of their individual personalities and their relationship to each other and how Mad Martigan is gradually coming to feel uh, fatherly towards this baby. So it's a very how, important scene, you know, but how long do you think Ron had to explain that to George? <laughs> and do you think he got like the little puppets out? <laughs> and George is like, oh, puppets. I understand that. I know Frank oh, okay. Oz very well. He did very good. Which work one of me. these, which one of these is Yoda? <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's funny because, uh, you know, looking into looking further into, um, Lucas's executive producer, um, you know, obviously he's the, the money man and kind of like the, the, uh, you know, the visionary when it comes to the effects. But, um, as we all know, not really, a not an actor's director. And in fact, yeah. a, a reluctant not good for story and character. Yeah. Right. A reluctant director. Um, and, uh, like I've heard it said that he actually finds the process of filmmaking, like not very pleasant. Um, however, on Willow, uh, he did spend a lot of time on the set and I think uh, had a lot of trouble restraining himself from, you know, kind of like getting all up. Stop and... emoting, you know, faster, more intense. <laughs> well, I think his thing was more like, oh, like, can I just look through the viewfinder really quick? Like, hey, Ron, how are you doing that? Um, how are you setting up that shot? But uh, I think I think Howard was able to hold his own reasonably well. Um, because... I think that's a, yeah, that's a, a trait that you need in an A-list director. 
Right. Yeah. Just, <laughs> to be um, able to tell people, like, no, go sit over there. And I mean, you can't, no. like, I have to, and, you know, I'm looking, I'm looking over uh, Ron Howard's filmography right now, and Jesus Christ, he's directed over 50 movies. <laughs> um, it's I good forgot, he stays busy. I forgot he stepped in on um, Solo when yep. that movie was in trouble. I forgot he did, the last one he did was fucking Hillbilly Elegy. Uh, yeah, well, I haven't watched that. People responded to that one too. There's no fucking way that movie is good. Um, you know, he also did those Dan Brown movies. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Tom Hanks and the weird Opus Dei mm. monk. And yeah. The, yeah, Da Vinci Code shit. Uh, Ed TV Ransom. Uh, he's a working man's director, you know. Well, um, yeah, he's... I think uh, I'm a little torn on him because I feel like he is like a really competent hack. Because he makes like really pop, like populist crowd pleasing movies, uh, some better than others. But um, you know, it's he's good at what he does. You know, maybe he doesn't respond to you, or maybe he doesn't like. You know, he doesn't. He isn't as much an auteur as you know right. you might look look up to or respect. But you're just like, yeah, you know, the guy knows his trade. Yeah, and. Um, also, as a longtime performer, I mean, he's been in front of the camera. He had been in front of the camera since he was four years old, um, mm-hmm. and also came. You think from, something would have rubbed off? So yeah, came from an acting family. Um, in fact, I think um, I think people still refer to him as Opie, which is really funny. Does anybody remember the the Andy Griffith show at this point? Uh, he was uh, on any that. of our <laughs> yeah any of our listeners. Yeah, let's. Mm. Cause that was one of my mom. That was one of my mom's favorite shows when she was growing up. So I'm really familiar with it because she used to watch it in reruns. Mm. But okay, yeah, well, and uh, yeah. So Willow, huh? <laughs> um, <laughs> that's how I feel watching the movie. Uh, yeah, but uh, what else was? Oh yeah, but um, I just really, really want to emphasize how much I fucking hated A Beautiful Mind. <laughs> okay, like, cool. It's a so you hate like you know crowd pleasing Oscar bait like we well get that's it. the thing because the um the original book and the story of John Nash was so fascinating and it was completely boulderized for this like Oscar bait. Now, the book was better than the movie, Jen. Yeah, but not just that. like oh yeah, like you know ah the movie wasn't as good. It was like wow, you people really fucked this up because this is like this is glurge. This is like complete hacky sentimental trash yeah crowd-pleasing oscar bait book is better than the movie yeah yeah but but tim i just really need you to understand how fucking (laughs) much that movie sucked anyway um i didn't see it so you know whatever back to willow i do like i already i i I took math classes in school like i don't need to watch it Uh, did you you did you take math classes and then uh, go insane and start trying to pick up men in public restrooms? They left we've that already... out of the movie. Jen, we've been over this. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm not judging. I'm just you know, right, right. Like so, the book or the movie? I just Are we want talking you to about be the... safe. <laughs> right. Well, I, <laughs> I know what I'm doing. Are we talking about the Will of Role Playing Game supplement or or Shadow Moon or? None of those exist. None of that extends the universe crap. (laughs) Um, Which ruins everything, by the way. Yeah, Disney's here to pave over it. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. It's like Willow. You watch Willow, and it is is a fantasy movie. It is Mm -hmm. the purest expression of a fantasy movie. 
because it's one of those movies where there's a lot of shit in it that like doesn't make sense or just happens mm -hmm. and you're like and in a normal movie or if you have a normal brain you'd be like oh why did that happen i, ho I hope someone was fired for that blunder but if it's a fantasy movie, you're like, well, of course it's going to happen. That's a fantasy thing. Like when they're like, yeah. we need to get the baby to tiramisu. And it's like, why? <laughs> who, who cares? They need to get us this castle. Because there's an evil queen, duh. Yeah, there's an evil queen. Well, you know. Didn't you watch Snow White? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just these are fantasy type things that happen. There's an evil queen. She's also a witch. She has these giant rat dogs that kill people. Okay, let's roll with it. Yeah. You know? um, none <laughs> like, of this, this makes any sense standard... or is explained, but it's a fantasy film. So yeah, you're like, okay. fantasy stuff um now the the books because they have to fill a bunch of pages they expand on all this and give additional background information on all the characters which i think is a big mistake because uh the, the movie works better the less you know about everyone you know it's like oh my Mardigan, he's in a cage why he he because he was too much of a charming rogue who gives a <laughs> shit why you know he's just there I it did occur to me that, you know, because, you know, they, they go to the crossroads and they find him in the crow cage and, um, you know, Willow's compatriots are like, I don't know, maybe we should give the baby to him. He's one of the big people. And I they was like, did say, yeah, give him to the first one you see. This yeah. Is the first one. And it was, it would, and I was thinking it would be really funny if the reason that they'd put him in the crow cage was because he fucked a baby to death. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, fun. just give it to him. He, he ate a baby. Yeah. <laughs> So, and, and yeah, like there are there are a lot of moments to like in it, and there are a lot of I think you know bold decisions in the characters. But yeah, overall the movie, I'm just like, yeah, what is this? Yeah, it, it is yeah. a uh, lots of fantasy. It left me cold, as Jen would say. Yeah, and looking at actually the... be like, it left me cold. <laughs> <laughs> oh my I... god, is that really how I sound? <laughs> um, reading the contemporaneous reviews, um, critics seem to kind of feel the same way. Like. Um, they they were also left cold. Uh, they felt that it was basically uh, a rehash of a lot of fantasy tropes, and it and I did find myself thinking at certain points like this feels like Star Wars kind of just fantasy. The, yeah, there is you know, some kind of Star Wars to it, yeah. It, it is sort of, but I'm gonna disagree. I think that a lot of the contemporaneous critics were doing that thing where they're like, nah, there's a movie and there's special effects in it. Well, I'm gonna pretend that this is like soulless and bad because they were doing a lot of that <laughs> shit back then. Um, this is no ordinary people. Come yeah. on. Well, the thing is, like, yeah. So, but and while this is this, no Marty, this is basically like you said. It's like, oh, we're trying to do Star Wars, but fantasy. So it is very by the numbers. You can see they've cribbed so much from Lord of the Rings. You know, right yeah, down yeah, to uh, Willow basically being, oh yeah, he's he's exactly like Bilbo. He's just he's a Hobbit basically. He's a halfling. Who, yeah, these he's are a halfling. All, these yeah. are all different D and D uh character classes or whatever right yeah for, for yeah. copyright purposes he is a nelwin uh so and he's you know he's like a he's a farmer he's a family man he's an ordinary dude and he's shanghaied into an adventure the same way that bilbo is in lord of the rings and of course you know men mardigan is basically you know aragorn and you know you've got everyone's got an analog but um what was my point yeah and like i said like there's the there's the aforementioned snow white there's, yeah. you know, Lord of the Rings, there's, I mean, from the get-go, it's a Moses, you know, story. Yes, yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, there's a little Gulliver's Travels nod, you know, there's, it, it is created from a lot of different places. And my, uh, the, the thing that never gelled to me was, like, the lore, like, the world. Like, there, the only thing that, like, made sense to me was, you know, that wizard 
you know, the wizard's finger test, because that actually seemed like something that was grounded in some sort of history. Everything was else was just like, here's a bunch of stuff you recognize from fantasy tropes. Mm-hmm. Yes, no, that's true. Um, and I do want to talk about that finger thing because because that yeah. uh, I, I I have a lot of feelings about that. Um, okay. And I no, Tim, I think you're right. I think the reason that this movie works as well as it does is entirely because you do have such a good cast. Um, yeah, you know, I and, would and, I would really true. agree with that. Like the um, the the cast really puts these kind of uh, flat stereotype characters over. Yeah. Um, maybe less so with the brownies. Um, they're okay. The brownies are, they're only there for comic relief. Yeah. Although me, even as a kid, I'm like, they're miniature, but they've got like full size brain for reasoning capacity. Well, how does that work? <laughs> Nerd! Uh, so yeah, well, um, I mean, the thing Sokozu is like, and Farscape does make the same point. I will add. When that's I was one of my favorite yeah. asides in a mystery science theater movie. I think it's in um, Village of the Giants, which starred little Ronnie Howard. So there were oh, yeah. a lot of Willow jokes <laughs> made during that <laughs> hey, episode. Hey, you liked Willow. Yeah. Yeah, um, and Crow keeps insisting that he liked Willow, and then at one point you hear Mike mutter, "With Kevin Pollock, you liked that." <laughs> what oh, this man? Oh, yeah. I thought the I you know what I mean when I was a kid I thought the brownies were great. I thought they were the greatest things ever. I was like, now this is comedy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that is yeah, that is a hundred. The little guys who talk real fast. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god, it's and I do like I just... they wear the little mouse pelts. That's kind of. Fun. Um, yeah, I mean that yeah. it makes sense in world, and I like too the detail that they're basically pests to like full size yeah. people. They're like talking rats. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they're like just people hate them. They're just like oh, gross brownies. Yeah, um, yeah. But, they're you know, basically um, Terrence and Philip. But uh, mm-hmm. Warwick Davis, you know, he's very likable. He's very charismatic. Uh, he really sells, you know, Willow as um, you know, just a just a um, a good father and husband. Who and at wants the to age do good of seventeen, yeah, that's incredible. That he was seventeen years old, and like, yes, he do, he does look very young in this, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you know, he does seem very believable as like a you know a little a little dude to the family. And I have to say, like, I'm not usually susceptible to this kind of thing, but his little family is so fucking his little his little son and daughter. They're so cute. <laughs> Yeah, he has a little kids who are actual little kids. Yeah. Yeah, and like him and, and like the connection that he has with his wife, like those are really nicely handled scenes. Yeah. You know, there's right. also yeah. um one thing about Willow early on in the film that I, I kinda like is because like I said, he is a uh, you know, he's a farmer. You, know, you can mm-hmm. see him plowing the fields with a pig, which is fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's different. Yeah. And they have that <laughs> yeah. first, he brings the baby to, I forget. Oh, so he's got this baby, which is prophesied to bring out the end of the evil Queen Bath Morta. I don't know if you've mentioned that. Might be important if people don't know what's happening in Willow. So <laughs> this I don't think it's important. important if you don't yeah. know what's happening. Yeah, this ba- the MacGuffin baby. So he's got the yeah. baby, right? And uh, he found it in the stream. And it's kind of funny when he tells his kids, don't touch that thing, you know? Um, <laughs> you don't know total, where it's been. Yeah, total dad thing to do. Um, <laughs> but when he's got this baby in the village at some fair, the rat dogs that Queen Beth Morton has sent out to track down this baby, like, attack. And the village guard have to, like, whack him off. And um, what's great about this is Willow in this whole scene is basically hiding. And I like that because nowadays if they made this movie, they'd be like, no, we need to show that Willow is like a badass right off the get go. And it's like, no, he's not. He's a farmer. He's not a badass. Yeah, he's mostly concerned with like, you know, when the the troops descend, he's like, where are my kids? Grab the kids and hide. 
I mean, that's yes. exactly yeah. what a person like that would do. I also love I love those dogs because um, they're pretty much just like the uh, the shrews and killer shrews, just with like slightly better costumes. Yeah, I thought they were like the R.U.S.s from Princess Bride. Those, those are aren't just dudes in costumes, right? <laughs> yeah, those I mean, are people, right? Yeah. I remember okay. them being oh, okay. people. Yeah. Tim, right. how do you feel about Princess Bride? I'm more of a Princess Bride fan than I'm a Willow fan. I think that it's just, you know, that it has more well-developed characters. Um, and, you know, it's kind of meta. Like, I like that about it, too. Yeah, that's yeah, fair. The, um, well, the thing with yeah. Princess Bride is that uh, if you, okay... Between the sources for both, it's like, on the one hand, you have a fully realized novel by, oh God, what's his name? Peter his name Beagle. Of... <laughs> no, it's not Peter Beagle. It's, uh, uh fuck. Michael Ende. My, uh, William, uh. Warwick Davis. God damn it. Um. George Lucas. Princess Bride. I'm going to have to take this again. William Bla- Goldstein? It's William Goldman? William Peter Blatty. William oh, okay. Goldman. <laughs> Fuck. Okay, let me take that again. Um, <laughs> you have you have a source novel, fully uh, you have a fully realized source novel by a very adept writer, William Goldman, who has not only written novels, but also some classic screenplays. And then you have whatever the fuck... George Lucas scribbled you the, on... You have that dork from USC mm-hmm. who, yeah. who fell backwards into a you know, multi-million dollar franchise. Yeah, who's like, oh, well, you know, I have I have all this lore about this, this world. And I'm, I'm going to catch lightning in a bottle a second time. Yeah, uh, uh, but also so, keep in mind, this is a movie for babies, so you don't really expect a lot of deep lore in this. Right, yeah, it is a, a kid's movie in that, like, we got... I don't know, an hour or two into it, and there's a point where a um, where like one of the, one of the bad guys, like foot soldiers, gets shot with an arrow, and I'm like, oh my god, like that's the first time I've seen a consequence. Yeah, to any of this action. It is. Well, it the, is the, a, the 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 um. I, the, I think the, like uh, maybe you, the you see three people get shot in one scene. Yeah, well, and yeah. then you also see an army of men turned into pigs. Well, well yeah, the, the, this is the eighties, so. The doula who, or whatever, midwife that saves uh, Alora Dan and all just gets fucking ripped apart by rat yeah. dogs. So there is that. Look, this is the 80s. Well, Kids were it. made of stronger stuff back then. Also, That's true. Yeah. They, they just seem returned to Oz. Yeah. And man, <laughs> and come on. Think about all the kids who watch this movie and all the sexy, sexy transformations and uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> got their first boners. Because yeah, there are about like a dozen a... in this movie, besides oh, the Oh, man, when that old bitch turned into an, an ostrich and then a turtle. I, mean, I do like that the climax of the movie does uh, center around two old women having a fist fight. Yeah, that's pretty great, though. Like, they're too old, like, because we there is a wizard, S, a wiz- oh, in this movie, too. Besides the evil yeah. queen, Beth Morda, there's, what, Lynn Razael, because Willow is, is... What, I think that's her name, right? I don't. I didn't. I don't remember. I don't remember Mad Morgan's name and okay. maybe Willow's name. Well, there's Rizel. Thank you. So the rapper Willow has to take this magic wand to give it to Rizel so that she can defeat mm-hmm. the queen. And at the climax of the movie, Rizel and the evil queen are fighting. And at one point, I don't know if Rizel loses her wand or just gives up on it. She just literally starts punching 
Bathmore. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. That's, that is that is like a Ralph Bakshi's Wizards moment. Yeah, where like where he just pulls out the gun and shoots him. <laughs> yeah, and in fact, um, Mike tweeted specifically about the climactic old lady fight. And uh, one of his followers responded, and this is such this is such a great tweet. I just remember that they sweetened up the sound of each bony fist connecting with each wizened face like it was Indiana Jones. <laughs> now that's ILM magic right there. Yes. Right. Um, yeah, ILM is the real star of this. I mean, you know, with apologies to Val Kilmer. Yeah. Um, uh, actually, yeah. Uh, though Val Kilmer holds his own in this, uh, he yeah. is good as. I think Val Kilmer is a good person for that role because he's, you know, he's kind of good looking, but he's also kind of weird looking, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, he's somewhat untrustworthy. Yeah, he looks like a Mort Drucker character of himself. And it, it works <laughs> because, you know, you look at this guy and you're like, yeah, I believe that's a guy who would probably live by his wits in like a weird medieval world. You know, he's not mm -hmm. like Tom Cruise in Legends where you're like, that guy is way too good looking, you know? Um, right. like f legend well, is know, such a disaster yes i know um, well, yeah, i know I mean, there are like people he... who like it but ugh. um so there's also uh about this movie one of the things that i thought was very interesting about it and i may be thinking about too much is the role that magic plays in it because it is a all right yeah i have i have some thoughts about that as well but first i do want to ask do you think that there's any rule 34 uh, images of Mad Mardigan making out with the Dread Pirate Roberts. <laughs> Ooh, Jen, Ew. you would know. Hmm. I mean, you know, I'd uh, I'd save that to my hard drive. <laughs> I'm not even. I'm not even the biggest uh, Val Kilmer stan, but that'd be all right. I uh, one, yeah. one of my high school friends was like in love with Val Kilmer in the nineties. She called that's it loud. She, she used to refer to him as my Val. <laughs> and you know well, he, he was yeah. a good looking dude um funny right. story yeah. um i worked at borders before its demise and uh this would have been in the early 2000s i worked at the one in the uh santa monica third street promenade and so we'd get celebrities coming through there occasionally just to shop and i was working the register one time and a uh, man and his i think two kids came up and they had a massive pile of books. Like they just picked up like everything that his kids wanted to buy and just threw it in like a big pile and, you know, put it down mm. on the, on the counter. And who was the dad, but a hella fat Val Kilmer. Oh, hey, he, uh, you know, he's, wait. he's coasting at this point. Do you oh. think he got hot? <laughs> <laughs> Now, um, I want to send you guys this photo that I found on Wikipedia before I forget because it, it's 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 very good. It maybe it's just like a dad bod thing. <laughs> okay, this right. and the um. The, oh geez, uh, I can't believe Val Kilmer is the young pope. <laughs> and uh, the, let me see. The caption on this one is, I gotta bring it up. Actor Val Kilmer reigning as King of the Bacchus Parade Sunday before Mardi Gras Day, New Orleans. That's from so, 2009. So Fat Tuesday, how appropriate! Hey, Fat Every Day. Yeah. <laughs> now, um. Well, hey, if you were gonna worship Bacchus, you would, uh, you you'd go in back for a second helping. Yeah, yeah. He's, <laughs> now, he's um, embodying the role. I, yeah. 
I don't want to be too tough on Val because I think he's had some rough times in uh, the last few years. Um, he fought throat cancer and um, had to have some kind of a tracheotomy, which has interfered with his ability to speak. Oh, jeez. Um, on some of his bigger movies, I understand that he made some enemies. Really? Uh, oh, I didn't know yeah. that. Well, Wait, he... is... well, I mean, that would explain things. Is Val Kilmer well, problematic? I don't, like... <laughs> I'm being Was like, there a falling out with the Zuckers? I do know that he did feud with quite a few of his co-stars like when he was really big. I don't mean big in body, I mean big in star. Uh, right. Most famously with Marlon Brando, of course, on the set of Himself very Moreau. big. Hmm. Hmm. Um and in some cases um Oh, um, I, was that Dr. Moreau? Yes. Uh. Um Richard Stanley, as it turns out, is extremely hey, problematic. But what if what if uh, what subject. if Val Kilmer and Marlon Brando uh, decided to settle their differences with an eating contest? <laughs> yeah, who can eat the most pies? Yeah, I, I just think that'd be interesting. You Mike, know, you can write your erotica later. <laughs> um, you know, if you if you subscribe to our ten dollar Patreon tier, you will get a story written by Mike about Val Kilmer and Marlon Brando having an eating contest. If you subscribe to our twenty dollar premium tier, you can skip ahead five minutes on this podcast. <laughs> but if you haven't given us that money, then you're stuck with us. Um, but you're anyway, gonna have to talk with us like unreasonably shitting on Val Kilmer, which well, is unfortunate because, like, yeah, I mean. A lot of goodwill from this and from Top Secret. That's well, yeah, what I and, gotta say. And you know, like he's a he was a big star. He had tremendous charisma. I like Val Kilmer as an actor. Like he's really fucking great in Heat. He's great in Top Secret. Oh yeah. Um he and Top Secret, one of my favorite musicals. <laughs> and a lot of the people who some of the people who worked with him speak very highly of him as, you know, an actor who takes his craft very seriously. But on the other hand, um, uh, Michael Bean, who worked with him on Tombstone, is like, I don't know Val Kilmer. Like, never even shaken his hand. Like, I know Doc Holliday. I don't know Val Kilmer. So, you know, maybe he clicks with some people and not with others. He did click with Joanne Wally on the set of Willow, which is probably yeah, why they have some that. pretty good chemistry here. Yeah, they do. Although I have to say the love story is probably the most underdeveloped part of this movie. And a lot of underdeveloped parts. Yeah, just because it's like, oh, we're going to do this thing with, like, uh, there's, like, fairy dust that makes you fall in love. And, yeah. uh, which, uh, um, uh, also, little thing about that that's kind of interesting is the fact that apparently it works across species because the brownies see a cat and instantly fall in love. But it does not work. Uh, it only works with your um, opposite gender because Val Kilmer sees Willow but does not fall in love with anyone until he sees Sorsha. So very, hey, very gender essentialist, you know. It's because he's well, super here's, straight. Here's the other, well, here's the other thing, though. I mean, even if it is only like whoever, whatever gender you're attracted to, let's just put it that way. He does see the baby before he sees. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So why does he not imprint upon the baby? Well, he was like, I, I, I am not fired for I, this blunder. He was like, yeah. I am not going back in that fucking crow cage no matter how much i want to fuck this baby to death i can't yeah i can't fuck two babies like one will have to do me but but mike i believe you were talking about magic oh like the, yeah the role of magic in the movie right right so uh obviously it's a fantasy movie magic does exist but um what i think is very interesting about this film is the fact that when we meet willow he wants to be a wizard 
Like that's his his a grand wizard. A grand wizard. He he's yeah. So you a, want to be a wizard? Yes. Yes. He want he wants the white robe and the conical hat. Yeah, the whole bit. But <laughs> he yeah. wants to meet um, Strom Thurmond. Yeah. <laughs> Before he does this, though, we see that Willow is actually a very accomplished stage magician, which was kind of mm-hmm. interesting because it seems that in this world, being a stage magician is like a halfway step to becoming. He's the. He's the Joe Bluth of his village. Yeah, you yeah. know, no, I mean, if you were to take like a kind of a um, uh, Venture Brothers approach to it, like you know, he does tricks like a hooker. You know, <laughs> he's not like an actual mage. Yeah, but um, it's, you know, what you know, Orpheus would. There's that bit though where uh, where the what's his name, the Grand Nagus shows up. Um, yeah, Billy uh, Barty. Billy Barty. He, <laughs> yeah, he shows up to neg everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> Before we get into this bit, I, I want to say some good things about Billy Barty because Billy Barty is fucking a, a scene stealer in this film. Amazing. Screen legend, Billy Barty. Yeah, you know, because here's the thing. Okay, so Billy Barty, he shows up. He's the grand uh, wazoo or whatever. He's a wizard. He's got the hat, the beard, and all that. He's like a he's a Nelwyn wizard, right? All the Nelwins are like, oh, the mm-hmm. Nelwyn wizard's coming. But um, he is. Uh, okay, so so. What I was thinking when I was watching it was like, you know, you know, if you, again, Lord of the Rings connection, uh, he's he's kind of the Gandalf of this film, mm-hmm. and I was thinking, like, Gandalf, yeah, because or you is read, he the Obi Wan? Yeah, whatever. Yeah, well, here's the thing: if you read like you know Lord of the Rings, um, and I think also this comes across in the Peter Jackson, um, you know, I, I, the Ian McKellen performance in the Peter Jackson films, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Gandalf is a character that seems to really resonate with people because. You know, he's phenomenally powerful. He's not human. He's like something beyond. But at the same time, he is very grounded in in his humanity. You know, he's this character who's kind of crotchety. He's kind of, you know, short-tempered, you know, but he's got this impish sense yeah, of humor. Yeah, you know, he still likes seeing his friends. Yeah, he still, he likes his friends. You know, like the bit where, like, he's he's yelling in the movie where he yells at Bilbo, like, I'm not some t- conjure of cheap tricks. I'm trying yeah. to help you. And it's like, you realize this guy, he is like, ridiculously powerful but he's still like he's just a guy he's your pal so um yeah but anyway i feel like watching billy barty in this performance is like he he captures a lot of that same vibe he feels very human uh but at the same time you feel like oh this guy is like legitimately a powerful wizard even though technically we never see him actually do any magic because and that that's my feeling on, on magic in movies is definitely less is more Yes. Like what did we what did we see Gandalf actually do? Like he lit his cane, he talked to a moth, and he disappeared and came back. Yeah. Well, but this it's like oh we've got like shape changing and like we've got like this gruesome uh, like troll turning into a dragon thing and like we've got fairies and whatever glowing you know wizard sticks and stuff like. I, it it seems like the the more you show, you're just like, eh, it's magic. I don't know. All bets are off. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. There's there's too much. It just loses effectiveness. But yeah, it's it's no longer grounded because you're like, oh, that's like the magic that I see in my everyday life. Like, yes. I don't know. Well, here's the thing about Billy Barty though, because I found I found him interesting because, uh, you know, he has he gives the sense that he is a great wizard, but we see mm-hmm. him do we see him do three tricks in the movie or or three magic things. One yeah. is the he rolls the bones to tell the future. But he admits mm-hmm. to Willow he's just making shit up. Yeah, even that's a con. Yeah, which is interesting. I think that's why he he connects with Willow so much because he he recognizes, oh Willow, you're a stage magician too. 
this is all just sleight of hand and bluffing. That's what magic yeah. really is. Um, which is why when he does the finger thing, because he asks everyone like, hey, pick which finger is most powerful. And yeah. uh, the other dwarves, you know, pick various of his fingers and Willow kind of pauses. And later on, he's like, would you pause? And Willow's like, I, I thought of picking my own finger. And it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, Wiggle Willow recognizes, yeah, this is all just bluffing. Um, it's not that the wizard has innate powers. It can be taught because anyone can do this. You just have yeah. to, you know, like he says, have the confidence. Um, it's, yes, can you get other people to believe yeah, what you think? Exactly. Is, yeah, exactly. But that's the thing is like, so the wizard, he does the thing with the bones, which is, is straight up fake. He does that mm -hmm. thing where he throws something in the air and it turns into a bird. And mm -hmm. and then he says, follow the bird. And they're like, it's going in the wrong direction. He's like, uh, ignore the bird. So, you know, that could be real magic that just fucked up. But at the end of the movie, we see Willow do the exact same trick, presumably through like sleight of hand. So it's like, yeah. oh, was that even real? And then the final thing is the acorns turn things into stone. But, and that is real. That's real magic. But... Mm -hmm. Um, Billy Vardy is like, Willow, here, you can throw these and they'll work for you, which implies, oh, it's not the thing about him. These are just magic eggcorns that anyone can use. Anyone can grab these eggcorns. Yeah, it's like a grenade. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's like, you realize we he gives the impression because he dresses like a wizard and he acts like a wizard that he's got powers, but we're, it's never actually, we never see them. We don't, we never know. He might be an entirely sleight of hand stage magician just like willow the whole time yeah yeah he might be a magician like you know a sleight of hand magician rather than like a proper wizard yeah i can't believe i'm like yeah you know a real wizard like <laughs> you know what i'm talking about and, and yeah that is kind of the fun thing in that you know there is an actual albeit minor character arc for willow in that you know you see in the beginning where he tries the disappearing pig trick and it kind of works and then the pig you know, runs out and everyone's like, ah, will you suck at magic? And then at the end, like he does the same sleight of hand. He's like, I'm, you know, I'll send this baby somewhere where you can't get it. And he's just like, up, oh, you know, it's behind your ear. Yeah, but like, yeah. Yeah, but the, 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 you know, sorceress who believes in magic's like, God damn it, you disappeared that baby. And it's, but no, it's just, it's sleight of hand. It's trickery conquering magic. And that, that's a fun inversion. Yes, of, I, know, I really like that. Um, also, that end where he does that and the Bath Morda immediately just like turns into like lightning and dies because I guess she's so <laughs> mad about it. Yeah, and then she gets hit by lightning, you know, whatever. It's to set up this trick. Yeah. The rest of it doesn't matter. It's like, it's a fantasy movie. We know what's going to happen when like the villain is defeated. It doesn't matter why that, you know, it doesn't matter. It just, it happens, but. Yeah, it's it's like Willow had his character arc to end the movie. Yeah, yeah, Shut exactly. Like, <laughs> get, get ILM in here to, to punch things up, and then we'll just roll credits. Uh, but, but yeah, like you know, you can dig for it, and there is a little you know character arc for Willow in there too. And I gotta say that you know, much as I you know enjoy uh, you know Val Kilmer's performance, I also really like that scene about you know the the lesson of the you know wizard finger, and that you know, it, it does take a, a moment for you to you know. Take a step back and and go. Oh, okay, yeah. The you know the powers in me. It isn't me to to be like. Oh, I think it's you, the wizard. You're the powerful one. It's like no. Maybe I can step up. Maybe I can be that guy. And that was just seemed like a really you know uh, teachable moment for me. Yeah, and that's like it's funny because among the three things I remember from this movie, <laughs> it's funny because as a kid, I remember seeing that scene and being like, ah, this is cheesy and dumb. But as an adult, I'm like, actually, no. This scene, you know, it, it's pretty good. Um, it's a good scene. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. And it's funny in light of what happened in to the Star Wars sequels, where um, 
You know, in the prequels, at first they were like, well, you know, like to be a Jedi, like you have to have this innate uh, kind of uh, physiological ability. Yeah, it, yeah, it's like being the one, you know, you just yeah. feel it, balls yeah. to bones. And then um, when people reacted so poorly to the midichlorians, they were like, uh, we never said that. And and then I guess <laughs> with um, how it turned out with the sequels, um, you know, with there being... <sighs> kind of a tug of war between uh helmsmen on those movies where it was like no like anybody can be a jedi no like if that's not it it's you know like you have to be chosen and you know that people really couldn't make up their minds about whether it's you know intrinsic yeah. specialness or you know a more like uh well, yeah, because no one knows what it's supposed to mean. Because it's supposed to like mean something to the audience. Yeah, and that's like that's why the the wizard finger thing is important. Because it's like this is an example of out of the box thinking rather than being like, oh, you're genetically superior. That's why you're magic. Yeah, like, <laughs> right. yeah. Like, what am I supposed to do with that? I think this um it this was interesting because I think in a lot of fantasy, uh, both like written like actual written by people fantasy and actual like like folklore. Um, mm -hmm. there is this kind of tension between the idea that magic is something that you, you can do because of, you know, special blood or whether it is something that is taught or can be taught. And I feel like, especially now that we live in a post Harry Potter world, people mm -hmm. like, they just, as everyone just thinks of magic as like, oh yeah, you've got midichlorians so you can do it. Uh, so yeah. this is, this is like a throwback. Unless you're almost. a muggle. Yeah. Like this is like, cause you're actually seeing like. Willow, because um, it's hard to tell how much of the stuff he does is like magic or not, but the fact that he he, he does receive a magic wand at one point, and mm -hmm. he does use it to do real magic, which indicates, yeah, anyone given enough um, you know training and uh, um, dedication can actually do magic in this world. Yeah, maybe maybe it's just one of those things where it's like either you get it or you don't. Yeah. Well, yeah, um, because um, he's. Uh... He's, but to like games... quantify it as something where it's like, oh, if you inject enough midichlorians, then you get it. Yeah. Or it's like, oh, if you go to Hogwarts long enough, you get it. It's like, it, it's a combination of two things. It's nature and nurture. It's like maybe you're a person who's predisposed, who has like a raw talent for something or just like an understanding of the world. But it's like, well, you still got to train that. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's kind of what the original Star Wars does, where it's like, you know, Luke, you're good at blasting womp rats, but, you know, we got to train you. And that's what Obi-Wan is for. Yeah, yeah. And, and well, like they kind of did that balance normally without turning it into like, oh, this these are your Jedi metrics and you know, <laughs> you won't we don't grant you label, you know, the degree of master because your BMI is over a different certain <laughs> amount, amount, I don't know. And you know, the midichlorian count is like such a bullshit standard, you know, and it's it's it's, it's racist science. too. Yeah. Um <clears throat> well, you know, like with Harry Potter. Why is it that like, rich kids always score higher on midichlorians? I'm just saying. That's exactly right. Well, and you know, with yeah. Harry Potter, like, um, there is like still that element of like, oh, well, you're the chosen one because, yeah. you know, Harry grows up like in a muggle household, but, you know, the owl still shows up at his fucking house with the letter yeah. or whatever. I don't know. It's been a while since I read those fucking books. Well, well I, yeah, do, I, mean, I do a... like this this movie. Um, this Maybe it is the, uh, you know, the Bilbo uh, influence, but the fact that uh, Willow is not the chosen one in any way, not only because he's just an ordinary guy, but even when it comes time to do the quest, you know, and, and mm -hmm. the Grand Nagus is throwing the bones and he's like, these bones tell me nothing. Willow, how do you feel about this baby? And Willow's like, 
you know, I, I care about this baby. I, I, you know, I want to help this baby. So Willow chooses. He is the hero of this movie because he just he chooses to do it. You know, yeah, he no, isn't like pressed into it. Yeah, there's no fate. There's nothing. There's the there's a prophecy that the baby will cause the downfall of Beth Morda, which I guess the baby kind of does. Not really that the baby does anything. <laughs> She's there for it. Yeah. Well, the baby reacts to a lot of things to tell you how to feel about a scene. Yeah, like, <laughs> that's what the baby does. <laughs> the yeah, baby... and I think that's a that's a thing which. Um... Jeez, I, I actually can't remember if, like, reviewers called this out, but I think they did, where, like, is that, like, kind of, like, a cheap way of getting <clears throat> an audience to react? It's like, show a cute baby, but, you know, they, like, whoever directed the baby, like, did a really good job, <laughs> which I guess is really more of, like, a, uh, I would imagine it has more to do with editing. Um, mm. You probably get, like, a whole bunch of baby reactions, and then you cut in the one that you want. But yeah, 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 they just you know, play with the baby for 45 minutes and they're just like, there, you're good to go. Use one of those. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but you know, it's a, it's a decent baby. Um, it's a cute baby. Um, it's got, it's funny when they show the baby, it's like this baby, the mark, and it's like, ah, the baby has the Hebrew letter shin on her arm, the letter S. <laughs> <laughs> it obviously means something. Um, yeah. Maybe it's a lightning bolt. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, you listened to the. Uh, to 372 pages talk about shadow moon do you remember what happens to Alora dannon no i just remember that at some point the character that was supposed to be willow but goes by a different name turns into the floor at some point <laughs> what yeah it just turns into the floor and apparently that's a thing that the writer uses in other cases because i forget who oh. wrote it but he's also like a comic writer i'm, I'm and... so wait okay sorry go on <laughs> yeah and and no like the thing about him turning into the floor happens in other places too i guess it's a it's a trope that the guy's like you know what it's time for this character to turn into the floor tim when you say turn like, into the floor do you mean like the like the, the floor you walk on yes ah, like so, like melding with cobblestones ah, this, and like okay sexy sexy floor tf yeah <laughs> yeah like communing with the you know uh, eons ancient rocks of the floor that he's now a party to it's it's madness so like oh god yeah um i guess it's a good thing that they never got to make those willow sequels because yeah because i i think that this was just like a, a a gun for hire or like it's like hey we got a fantasy novel in the same way that they do this with video games like yeah. can you rebrand it into willow and be like yeah sure we'll just do we'll write a preface and then that will say, my name is Willow, but in this case, you're going to call me someone else's name, and we're never going to refer to Willow again. Yeah. And the other characters you know are dead, so <laughs> let's get moving. It's like, I, I think we're kind of in another, uh, uh, we're in another story at this point. Yeah, when so, I saw this uh, on the Willow on the Willow wiki, because uh, it mentioned <laughs> this, I was like, in Shadow Moon, a great cataclysm happens. And I was like, wait a minute. I was for for like a good five minutes. I was convinced that the wiki was confusing uh, the Dragonlance books with Willow because th those are all Dragonlance things. So, um, so the but, guy who did the heavy lifting for Lucas on writing those uh, those novel sequels mm -hmm. to Willow, um, Chris Claremont. Apparently, he's like the big swinging dick on uncanny x-men because not yeah. only did he create a bunch of like x-men characters that even i've heard of but he also wrote the dark phoenix saga yeah Ooh. and he and he came up with the fantastic floor 
<laughs> You've been sitting on that one for an hour, haven't you? I've been sitting on that joke for about 20 years, so <laughs> I'm glad I finally get it out. Um, and it's good see. because Fantastic Four are also Marvel, so yeah, it works. Marvelous, yes. It's a good joke. Right. Yeah, so Shadow Moon, though, is, is just an atrocious book, and but you'll have to ask, you know, Connor Lestoka or, you know, Mike Nelson, you know, for their input on it. Yeah. Um, so, they would know better than I. Anyway, so... Um, what, what but yeah, so so brownies are annoying, and I don't get how they work. Um, there's little... a lot of magic in this. Also, like, to a distracting degree, we're, like, we're introduced to this world that is rich with magic. It is, like, it is bursting at the seams. It is overstuffed to the point of, like, inertness. Just in, like... It's like, hey, here's a lot of stuff that is neat that we need to show you that doesn't necessarily add stuff. The scene with the fairies and, like, Willis sees the fairy and she says, like, yeah, you got to take care of this baby. Like, what other than, like, Willow was already going to do that. What does that scene add other than being like, wow, these are really neat effects? Well, well, he well, has the, to know, the... like, he can't, now he realizes, oh, wait, this baby isn't just a baby. This is the baby. The big well, and baby. And also that... That fairy, um, that's her wand that, uh, I guess, um, Rizel yeah, uses. Rizel to... needs. Yeah, Tim, weren't you paying attention? Yeah. It's actually a uh, very important not. scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where, th where things just kind of continue forward. Oh. I don't know. The, the story arc to me is just like this wiggly line. Like, it just kind of bounces around. Well, no, that's like, true. We're here, we're there. It goes from, look, There's we need to do, it's a fantasy movie. The, we need these fantasy things to happen. We need to have, you need to meet a, a witch, sorry, a, a, mm -hmm. an enchantress who's going to help yes. us. We need to go to the castle. We need to fight the evil general who's got the big skull helmet because he's an evil general. So, of course, he's got a big skull helmet. Yeah, and, that I have no idea what that character's deal is. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the evil general, um, you will notice that he... Uh, shares a surname with the critic Pauline Kale. Oh, was is are they related? It is 100% <laughs> deliberate. Um Pauline Kale in fact called it out in her own review of the movie and seemed uh, very tickled by it. She referred to it as an homage à moi. That's a what, did did she like pan a previous Lucasfilm or something? Like Of course a... she did. Um Okay. This this all goes back to Lucas's um adversarial relationship with critics and this was something that i noticed in reading uh the biographical material about him like one thing that he says again and again and again is that well you know when my name is on a movie that's you know the critics just respond really negatively to that it's like, yes george it's just your name it's the fact that you made this movie not the fact that this movie is just kind of like hacky and not very good it's because everyone yeah, I hates you <laughs> I react negatively when I consume a bottle of something that has an X and crossbones on it. <laughs> um, yeah, the, uh, well, this is, so basically Kale is like the equivalent of the, uh, the Godzilla movie where um, Siskel and Ebert were the uh, mayors of New York. Uh, oh my God. <laughs> oh, and that's, um, and I- That is I've, so awful. I've like, mentioned... where the fuck do you get off, like, criticizing film critics? Your movies are fucking garbage. Well, and I've mentioned this in uh, a previous episode. The two-headed dragon that appears in the last third of this movie was, uh, you don't hear the name on screen, but it was nicknamed Ebor Sisk. Oh, I, oh, that's funny. Yeah. I get it. Because, yeah. Um, okay. Ebor Sisk refers to Siskel and Ebert. 
Huh. Wait, what? Wow. Okay. Um, okay. Oh, man. Two people who are like, mean to George, who just <laughs> wants to entertain with his shiny toy box and millions of dollars. Hey, you know what? Just, Got him. He needs to work. Got him. <laughs> George needs to work through some stuff first before writing movies. I yeah. Guess. He's like, oh, or writing stories. So it's like, you still get to get to make the fucking movies. Stop no, whining. God. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, we haven't mentioned that dragon. It's It's... It's it's a two-headed dragon. It appears, breathes fire. Yeah, it's it is what it is. Cool. It oh, shows up in this gruesome transformation shot when yeah. like it's pretty yeah, gross, Willow, yeah. You know, waves the uh the the wizard wand at uh was it a troll? It's a troll. Yeah. And I I yeah. do I do like that trolls are are like monkey men, but like not any kind of troll you've seen before. No. Like I have an idea in my head about what a troll looks like, but I appreciate Willow for just being like New trolls. Yeah, no, because if I think of a troll, I'm like, okay, it's gonna be like a big fat guy. He's got like, you know, like big teeth. Yeah, like a pinhead. Pinhead. He he wears yeah. like a little loincloth and carries a big club. You know. Yeah. Yeah. You but know, no, this is like this is like the what Stargazer like 2001. Yeah. <laughs> I <laughs> yeah. I had forgotten about the kind of like ape men trolls in this movie, and I was like, I know, you know. Willow is specifically mentioned in dialogue that he hates trolls, so we're going to see trolls at some point. I don't remember what they look mm -hmm. like, and for whatever reason, what I was picturing in my head was, um, you know, that's, th there's a Star Trek Next Generation episode where Worf is doing like a fighting simulation on the holodeck, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. one of the adversaries he fights is this guy with like a weird squishy kind of moist looking green head. It's it's not the Gorn captain. No, no, it's not a Gorn, but mm. it's like it's just like a weird green squishy guy. And mm, that was okay. kind of what that was what I was picturing. And then the ape men showed him and I was like, "Oh, yeah. I don't I didn't remember that at all." What, well, they don't make much of an impression. And no. They show up and get killed. I have to say that um I don't as many times as I've seen this movie, I don't remember the about the last third of it that well, and I think it might be because really the parts that I enjoyed watching over and over again the most, like, had a lot to do with um, the character interactions on the journey, yes. which are where a lot of the movie, if the movie has any appeal, that's where a lot of the appeal comes from. Yeah, no, that's the best part of it. Um, this movie, like I said, it's a fantasy movie, so fantasy things happen. And that whole bit in the castle is probably the best example because it's kind of this thing where, like, look, we need to get the baby to the castle for reasons, we were at the castle. Oh shit! The people in the castle are now all in crystal for reasons, and trolls are here for reasons. None of this makes any sense or is ever explained. Um, well, apparently, the, it is in the book. Yeah, but, you know, Mad Morgan gets that cool suit of armor. That's neat. Yeah, yeah you know, because it just pretty. shows up. Rizel says yeah. that oh, this is Bavmorda's magic. So I guess we're supposed to assume that Bavmorda like put a spell on this entire castle, and it is interesting to me that um. You know, because Mad Mardigan points out the people like kind of frozen in these weird crystals. Now, when you see a thing like that, you assume that at some point those people are going to be unfrozen. And I wonder if that was a, uh, uh, you know, something that was cut for, for time or difficulty or because it was too spendy an effect to like. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure they could just couldn't afford the effect. They're yeah. like, we blew our wad on the pig transformation stuff. <laughs> Right, or or on you know the the two headed dragon. The, yeah, yeah. Which, to be fair, these are some great effects, especially for the time. Yeah, and of, I mean, I know that 
I'm showing my age, but you know, like optical effects, stop motion. Yeah, it just it feels nice. The the yeah, one yeah, it was really fluid stop motion. It was really well done. And I think yeah. if I won't swear, but I think that um, dragon, as well as some other elements in the movie, was designed by the famous uh, French artist Moebius. Oh, uh, and I like that it's a different sort of dragon too. I mean, like the two heads, I don't get it, but you know, and like the body, I just remember being a potato. Yeah. Um, but you know, that is two heads, and like the heads were were different from what you'd see of a dragon. Like they've yeah. got the big like like sperm whale teeth, and yeah. they've got like the the kind of like chameleon, like you know, kind of sack, you know, which it kind of makes sense because you're like, oh, because it breathes fire, so it's, that's where it keeps its, you know. Uh, yeah, it's very, it's 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 very gross. <laughs> like yeah. it's, yeah. it's like kind of like icky and like oh, that's like that's a terrible that's a terrible enemy to have to fight. Yeah. Right, I yeah. do like they were like, look, we can't we can't afford to do the second half of the dragon, so it's just gonna sit in this like moat, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, well, that's what Siskel and Ebert did. They just oh, kind of sat in a yeah, moat. Yeah, hey, sat in the balcony, <laughs> roasted, just talking shit about good movies. Yeah, <laughs> how, how dare you? Just um, what just is... good movies that were made just to entertain the children. Was a simple man with a dream. Yeah. Hey, and hey, and... hey, hey. If you don't just if you don't have anything, it's just that meme with the let people enjoy things. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, one other thing that I am dying to say about effects is because not only is uh, the stuff with the dragon great, and you know there are a lot of great, um, you know, practical and you know optical effects in this. One of the things that it was just this minor shot, but it floored me is that they they rotoscoped a handheld fucking shot of like the brownies like walking with, you know, with with a willow. And like, there's one on like a log, and there's another one in the foreground, and it's mm-hmm. just like this normal handheld shot of like them walking, and they also, and they then they just composited in these two little guys like seamlessly into the scene. I'm like, how the f did they do that in like the 80s? Yeah, it was yeah. Like there are some you know industrial light and magic. I don't know if you've heard of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they do they do good stuff. Yeah, but no, I just wanted, do. Yeah, I mean, I want to. Yeah, I want to call it that one specifically. And, you know, then they also do other stuff with, you know, like scaled up, uh, you know, props and scenery for like the, you know, the single shots of the brownies. And that's fun, too. But, yeah, like there's a lot of great effects work into this kind of plotting inert story. Yeah. So there's a kitty. Yes. Yeah, yeah. There's a giant cat because that one brownie just loves pussy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I would be remiss not to mention like the funniest gag of all time because we all know that there's nothing funnier than a guy dressed in drag with another guy oh. hitting on him. Oh, you know what? I mean, it's so funny because like you know, as soon as a guy puts on a dress, like you, you can't tell at all. It's like that is I've obvious. Been that is you know, like literally, uh, Bill Kilmer. Well, you know, just just holding a thing in front of his face. It's like that is definitely like um, you know, definitely my wife's sister. That just yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but also well, it's like because he's the big so fake pretty. boobs that sell it. Yeah. yeah, though I mean it's like I mean that's a sort of like okay yeah that's the sort of gag you see in it. Uh, it's a little a little I mean you know and that that sort of thing I'm like yeah whatever okay. But then when um, Shorsha is like this is actually a man and like Lug the the brutal um, guy who a second ago was like gonna fuck um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Mad Morgan goes into full on trans panic and just like <laughs> kills everyone in the restaurant. It's like. Mm, that didn't age well. That didn't age well at all. Um, 
But you know what? I mean, you know what? This movie, I mean, it's very, it's very, uh, it's very gender centralist. Because like, also when like a Shorsha is like, uh, you know, get a, a cut off uh, Mad Mardigan's dick, and she's all like, "Come any closer, you'll be a woman." And it's like, "Gee, Sorsha, is that all a woman is to you? It's all about genitals." It's not just a lack of a di- mm, 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 mm. So Well, true. I mean, you know, she was evil up until that point. That's so true. That's she was why, evil yeah. at that point. Uh, she yeah, has the, the quickest betray- conversion to good ever. She got some dick, yeah. and then she's like, "I'm good now." Yeah, she betrayed no, uh, yeah, her she mom. Got, like for, kissed. She betrayed her mom for dick, which is, you know, spe- like speaking as a woman, that's something that we all go through. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Jen, Jen, you would do that in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course so. I would. <laughs> Well, you know, let's uh, let's talk about Bav Morda. Let's talk about our villain in this movie, because... Gene Marsh, who also yes. played an evil queen in Return to Oz. Yeah, Mombi. Uh, you know what? It is. It is. She's playing to her strengths because uh, she's yeah, she's yeah. she's good at kind of looking looking imposing in a kind of queenie outfits and like yelling at people. So um, and. I think, um, you know, just a quick aside about uh, Return to Oz, since there is a George Lucas connection. I think that, uh, and this was, Return to Oz was Walter Murch's only foray into directing. Um, and the experience, I think, just put him off of it for the rest of his career. Um, Walter Murch, of course, is better known as an editor. But um, he was on the verge of being pushed off of the project. And George Lucas actually went to bat for him and uh, called up the producers and because he knew merch from, you know, way back in his USC days. And he was like, you know, I think you're, you're going to make a mistake if you fire this guy and merch is able to complete the film. Make my friend keep doing this thing that he doesn't like, which I myself don't like. That was his, that was George Lucas's plea. It was a good film, though. I mean, the end result, and Return to Oz, is probably is probably one of the classics of the genre. And that's um, yeah, it's very unique. That Return to Oz is definitely a movie that was way ahead of his time. It's time in term of uh, in terms of tone, um, because I think that. Uh, in, when it came out in 1985, um, people weren't really ready for that kind of dark fantasy. Yeah. Um, I think it it I think it sits more easily nowadays. You know, like every, you know, people love Game of Thrones and shit like that, which is pretty dark. But um, people did not know how to handle Return to Oz at the time it came out because no. the well, it's a pretty it's a pretty big step down from Wizard of Oz. Well, like if you go in expecting a a Technicolor musical, yes, and then you're like, oh yeah, this woman swaps heads and <laughs> is gonna like eat a baby. But yeah, you know, that's it is true. more true to the original books, though. Yeah, because well. the original books are kind of fucked up. Yeah, like you read the original books, and it's like, uh, what's his name, L. Frank Baum or F. Yeah. Frank Baum? Yeah. I forget. Yeah. Like, like that guy. He's like, he obviously the whole time he was just like, oh yeah, man. What what if like what if like he had power that like made like a like a like a jack lantern come to life, man? And like, you know, what, what <laughs> like, if what if there's a teapot that could talk to you? You know, Mike. <laughs> we maybe need more it's... body horror in this fantasy movie. Mike, maybe at some point you and I should talk about uh, "Wonderful Land of Oz" because that story literally has a canonically trans character in it. Oh uh, yes, Ozma. Um, yes. Or, um, or uh, her dead name Tip. 
Um, yes, <laughs> Ozma was assigned male at birth. <laughs> that is a that is an extremely interest. That is an extremely. I mean, interesting. It's probably one of the. I mean, I, was this I, an Ed Wood movie? No, this is one of the original <laughs> Oz books, and probably no. one of the first appearances of a a, a trans character in literature than i can think of i mean yeah which like i don't think i don't think that's what bomb was necessarily going for but um you know i mean you could certainly read well, yeah, he's it just as, smoking the devil's lettuce yeah well yeah you well, could read it as kind of like a wild ass trans narrative and um you could at the time i know you've seen the move that like there's a terrible ice cream bunny like movie that was made of it which i think they did on riff tracks yeah Wonderful well the thing is um with yeah. with ozma that's interesting i think is because originally it is tip who is a, a boy and then like i think when it, it's revealed oh, actually this is ozma the queen of oz who's been you know because of a magical spell transformed into tip but now she's ozma again and it's kind of an interesting thing because after that uh they, ozma never it, it the, the it's a weird thing where it kind of looks like they they almost are portrayed as two different people but since there's so it's who knows it's it's very interesting um anyway you should probably cut this in post because people are gonna be like oh that guy's well doesn't know uh, what he's talking about <laughs> well you know what mike we can save this you're for gonna the... get canceled mike yeah can yeah save... mike, like... we can... mike we can save this for the discord okay because because i was saying like people are gonna be because i'm like let, let me tell you about like let me make some uh let me just make some bold statements about trans narratives so people are gonna be like mm, mm. <laughs> that, that... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but um, Mike, you got yeah, the pass. I mean, you know, Tim and I are just a couple of cis lunkheads. But that's right. Ah, that's right. Jokes. Yeah, and remember, guys. only certain people are allowed to have certain opinions. That's exactly that's right. right. Um, and but as a woman, you really shouldn't be speaking at all. I don't know how to <laughs> let this happen. That's true. Um, but yeah. speaking of women, I believe we were, um, Mike, you were about we're... to hold forth on uh. Queen yeah, Bev Morda. Jean yeah, Bev Morda is great because, well, because literally she is, she has, um, you know, because it's like, oh, she's an evil queen. Uh, she's got powers, like she's like a sorceress. And I think like in the, the Willow novelization, they gave a little more background on her. But um, again, I think that's stupid. I think the fact that she is such an enigma is actually the, what works because she is basically like, she's the Sauron of this story. And uh, she she fits very nicely into again an extremely basic uh, fantasy trope, and since this movie is full of them, she just feels right there. Um, she's what we would call, a, or what uh, fantasy theorist John Clute terms a dark lord. And um, actually, I, I have where's the TV tropes? Okay, so I actually have no. the definition here because you won't I... catch Mike referring to TV tropes. <laughs> no, no, this is uh, this is real. This is the real thing. It's actually I'm on put all on your the badass tropes. Long coat. Yeah, <laughs> but, but get ready for the crowning moment of awesome. Uh, no, here. So a dark lord <clears throat> in uh, genre fantasies, particularly those modeled on uh, Tolkien's work, the role of principal antagonist is taken by a dark lord. Dark lords are or aspire to be prince of this world, and as such are a malignant parody of the gods. They may not be explicitly a devil or antichrist, though names like Sauron, Balazamon, and Lord Fowl indicate they usually are. Uh, they're only marginally a personality. They have become almost an abstract force of thinning, debasement, and entropy. Uh, the Dark Lord is usually male, except in parody, and they operate under constraints or prohibitions, and thus often vulnerable to quibbles. So Willow is a parody? Yeah, kind of. It's, That's it's why more it's so a, funny. You know, yeah, well, this fits Lord Volchere from Quest of the Delta Knights. I think we're missing the important connection here. <laughs> I uh, believe Willow's Warner. more of a pastiche. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I, Mike does uh, hit on a point where he's talking about all the uh, generic fantasy trope stuff, and I think that that's really what doesn't work most for me about Willow, is that it does feel very generic, and that so mm-hmm. much of this mythology feels borrowed and underdeveloped, and that's mm-hmm. the thing where it just it relegates itself to sort of a fantasy also ran, because it kind of it, it picks stuff where it's like, hey, you like Lord of the Rings? We got a halfling in this. It's like, well, <laughs> like you didn't come up with this thing on your own. Like It isn't in the same way that like um, like the Dark Crystal feels very different, or like Labyrinth feels very different. This feels like you know that pastiche, like you know, like Mike says, where it is. It's a little bit of this. It's some things that you've seen before. It's common tropes, and then you put it all together, and you have your basic generic fantasy movie. And and that's really what is is why Willow didn't really do anything for me because it feels like oh, I'm watching a derivative fantasy movie with a list actors. Yeah, and that's it funny is sort of because um, just sorry to interrupt you, Mike, but really quickly, I want to mention because Tim brought up uh, Jim Henson's work. Um, I believe that Lucas Lucas was very eager to work with Henson, you know, especially after Dark Crystal, and in fact, he was executive producer on Labyrinth. Now, um, I believe this was a case where uh, a, an extremely strong creative directorial personality was able to kind of counteract uh executive producer george lucas because um that's the thing is that at its core it is like i don't know it's kind of a fantasy star wars yeah and that's that's the thing that the critics kind of you know rake you know lucas over the coals over is that it's kind of like you know generic popcorn kind of stuff like a lot of the humor like i think jen pointed out earlier in willow does feel a lot like Star Wars humor, which is not Star Wars' strongest suit. And yeah. <laughs> and that you just kind of see, you know, this this kind of light popcorn fare. As a movie critic, you're like, yeah, it's fun, but I mean, this isn't high art. And that's, you know, the same point that Jen's making is, you know, if you have a strong creative force, you get a strong creative movie versus like, you know, popcorn <laughs> fare that you get from Lucas. And that's that's kind of what you, what you have with Willow. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, Lib- Labyrinth has, like, a tremendous amount of heart uh, compared to, like, other, you know, kind of Luc- Lucas executive produced material. Yeah. But that has, a- I think that has a lot to do with um, Jim Henson and the people that he worked with. Right, yeah, it's sort of that artistry first rather than being like, hey, can, can, we, make a- can we make a marmoset talk? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, Mike, did you uh, did you finish what you wanted to say about uh, Dark Lords and Bavmorda? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think like so. I mean, I I do enjoy this movie, and like I said, I think there's a lot of stuff to like about it. Um, I Bavmorda, I think, works because it is a generic fantasy movie, so we want a generic fantasy villain, you know. But at the same time, uh, I think Tim's right because since it is a generic fantasy movie, there are no real rules to this world. And no matter what happens, you're never, you're never going to be like, Oh, that shouldn't be there because you know, Willow could run it. He could meet like, you know, in one scene, he could meet a unicorn or next scene. He could meet like slender man. And you'd be like, yeah, sure. That fits. Why not? Because (laughs) there's, there's literally anything could happen. You know, it's not like labyrinth where you feel like, okay, this is a very specific world or dark crystal Mm -hmm. where you're like, you know, um, yeah, they lay out the mythology for you. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think it's it is unfortunate because there's some good stuff in here. I like the whole contrast between real magic and sort of fake magic. I think would be a really 
it's a really interesting theme that I think if it had been developed a little more, I mean, if we'd actually, if the movie actually bothered to like say, okay, there are rules about magic, then that mm -hmm. could be a really strong theme. But since the movie doesn't really, I don't think the movie's really thinking about that. So instead it gets this, it's kind of half baked, but mm -hmm. it's, it's yeah. the beginning of something that would be really neat if the movie had chosen to actually um, look at it seriously, I think. Yeah, if yeah. there's a stronger uh, world building or stronger, you know, executive production or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and for me, like, I really agree with Tim's assessment about how it really feels like well-trodden ground, and that's what makes it much less interesting than other entries in this fantasy genre. Um, and I really feel like I can't be objective about this movie. Um because it is comfort food in a way to me. It was it was very pleasant, like revisiting these scenes that I remembered. And I do I do like a lot of the elements of it. I like the performances. Um, I think Ron Howard did a great job um, directing his actors, and they all acquit themselves really yeah, well. Yeah, but yeah, but uh, it's I I it's def it's it's not one of the stronger kind of high fantasy uh entries of the of the 80s. No. It's it's more yeah. and, and Mike, I know you love Kroll, but it's more of like a Kroll kind of a movie. Oh, no, 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 no. Okay, no, no. Kroll is actually good. Kroll, <laughs> um Kroll is we'll better than Star Wars. We'll save that for the Discord, Mike. Right. <laughs> I one of the things too that I want to add about is like how much of how much the movie feels sort of overstuffed and inert, and, you know, in sort of a grab bag. Uh, like Mike is saying, is that you? I at least noticed the music does so much lifting in this. Like mm. it becomes conspicuous after a point where it's just like, here's how you're supposed to feel about the scene. I know you don't, but we're just going to lay the music on really thick. So this is, you know, for instance, a very exciting bobsled scene or something. <laughs> but like so much of it is just like music is like, hey, you feel it yet? And I'm just like, no, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> why we're here or why this is significant or or what these characters are going through. It's just, it, you know, we're moving it from scene to scene, set piece to yeah. set piece. And the music, of course, is courtesy of another very competent hack, uh, James Horner, um, probably maybe uh, better known for uh, movies like Titanic. Yeah, whatever became of Titanic. <laughs> um, R.I.P. James Horner, I believe he is no longer with us. Oh, if I recall correctly, but um, he he worked on a lot of movies, and yeah, like um, I don't know, like the music in this is fine, like, but it's not like uh, it's not exactly Eric Wilhelm Korngold or anything. Well, I mean, I, I think it's more that that it becomes out of place in that the music just kind of like, you know, the the music soars, whereas the story just kind of plods lays along. there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's so overall, it's a movie that's less than the sum of its parts. I mean, you know, you've got you know Lucas with the story, you've got Ron Howard directing, you have you know endearing, you know, charming A-list actors, you know, playing thoughtful characters, and you know you have a really bombastic score, and you have all these you know elements drawn from high fantasy, and you put you all together. Yes, and ILM. Yeah, and you put it together, and you're just like, I don't know, you do something with it. <laughs> I agree. I hate yeah. to say it, but yeah. I agree. It, as much as like I, I enjoy revisiting this movie, um, it's not because it's it's a great one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an enjoyable film. It's got it's got its uh 
it's got things to like. Um, I pro I won't need to watch it again for another twenty years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Mike, are we gonna have to have you back on to talk about Krull? Uh, well, if you are gonna do Krull, you better have me back on because I've. I mean, I, I I I've got a lot to say about the greatest film in American history. <laughs> I I did. Um, Krull did win me over when I saw it on a big screen. Yeah. Well, you see, uh, I I often I remember when uh, recently there was some. Uh, one of those BuzzFeed type websites that was, uh, you know, where they do the thing where they dig up something that everyone's forgotten from the distant past and they act like it's like really weird. Uh, apparently they said that when Krull came out, you could win a Krull themed wedding. That was one of their promotional things. <laughs> and so like three lucky couples got to be married in a Krull themed wedding. And they were like, oh, look at these, look at these dorks dressed up like Krull people. And it's like, fuck you. That that's pretty cool. That's way better than like did, fucking. Did you wedding. have a curl Wendy wedding? Well, you or know, any wedding. <laughs> um, Take that, Buzzfeed. Well, I was there. Go hug and, your cat. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep mum about whether or not Mike's wedding was crawl themed or not. Oh <laughs> right. uh, man, I'm we talking were... about the yeah. I'm talking about the Buzzfeed editor, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just but you know also well you know whatever I won't talk anymore about crawl because it's it's its own episode yeah That's... you're gonna wet your seat if we keep yeah. going <laughs> um is there anything else that we would like to say about willow um i think we've forgotten to mention one of the uh, key performers in willow um i forget his name because i never looked it up but he plays the incredibly important role of burgle cut in this yeah uh, the mean dwarf who is mean to willow and um, and uh, he's, gets he's barfed and on and yeah. pooped on yeah speaking of lucas humor Oh man, but like when it oh, happens, right, you're like, yeah. "Oh, I hate that Burgle cut." Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Take that. I I didn't even cross reference how many of these actors are also in Time Bandits, but it's got to <laughs> be more than one. I think the black guy, like, has he seemed familiar? But I'm like, I think you're confusing him with Danny John Jules, who is three feet taller than him. <laughs> you know what? I thought that too, actually, when I saw yeah. him. I was like, "Oh, the cat." <laughs> um, you're like, he's he's no, English. Tim. They're the same guy. Tim, that was a real cat. Yeah, oh, I do okay. like when uh, when Burgle Cut shows up the first time and he's like yelling at Willow and he's all like, where'd you get the planting seeds? I sell the planting seeds around here, which is very weird because I was like, what is he like the Monsanto of this world? Because presumably <laughs> Willow will plant the, the crops and then collect the seeds from his own crops. Just plant them again. That's what you would do in a medieval world. Why are you buying seeds from this dude? What's uh, going he's on here? A... He's he's a it's another trope a small business tyrant. Yeah, well he's doing the thing where he's like I'm gonna get your farm Willow. Yeah, I'm gonna fuck your wife Willow. I'm only here in three scenes, but you're gonna hate me for it. Also, yeah, yeah, I I didn't see a lot of uh, the wife you know character development. So like when you know Willow comes back again, almost as if he went there and back again. Um, (laughs) Like and the wife is like worried and then she's relieved that he's there and i'm like who the fuck is this yeah Um, i think i think it's cute they're cute no i mean i get it like i understand it unlike in the way that like a robot understands human emotions it's like (laughs) well that's that might be a you problem tim well no no it's a it's a lucas problem where it's like these are what people do when they miss each other tim do you remember how mad you got the other day when about a joke in an old porky pig cartoon Oh, okay. So he asked for a, a long list of of food 
And then he says, oh, and then I'll have a Demitazi. And then Porky's like, oh, we're out of Demitazi. And he says, okay, I'll have a small cup of coffee. And that is supposed to be a joke. Wait, I don't get it. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> What's the Demitazi I mean, is a small a cup of coffee. Joke. It, no, it is not. There are a lot of things that aren't very good jokes. It's, it is a character <laughs> order something, and they say, it, it's the equivalent of, uh, is Pepsi okay? I'm like, yeah, okay. Like, well, it doesn't, the character doesn't react at all, and he's like this, like, uh, like Jewish Scotsman? I don't, I don't know. I thought, what well, isn't it that guy who looks like Elmer Fudd with a mustache? You I mean guess. Yosemite Sam? <laughs> no, no, no it's it's like an old Porky Pig cartoon that I guess has fallen into public domain, and that's why it's on B Movie TV. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. Like but three times you know, hour. before we get too in the weeds here, I will say, I mean, there's a reason that things like Duck Amuck and What's Opera Doc have not oh, fallen into yeah. public domain, and maybe like these kind of shitty Porky Pig cartoons have. Yeah, Rabbit of Seville, though that one. Oh man. Well, that's a classic. Yeah, yeah um, that one's that's brilliant. Right. So, Wait, oh, wait, wait a minute. When you say, oh, wait, is this Egghead? Was it Egghead? Uh, no, I I don't believe that this was a named character because I've oh, not okay. seen either of these other motherfuckers in no, any of the like cartoons. No, like Porky Pig needed, they needed generic customers for Porky Pig's Cafe. That's, oh, yeah, what's yeah. the name of this cartoon? Porky Pig's uh, Cafe. Oh, they weren't even trying. See, this, that level, it's, that's, that's where, you know, poor writing, like you can't patch over that with ILM effects or, you know, Warner Brothers animation, for that matter. Let yeah. me just say this, Mike. It's no grub grabber Gumby. Oh well, yeah. It's, it's like no was... two wet bears. <laughs> I know. Like, he orders a lot of food. I'm like, okay, go on. Yeah, All right. right. <laughs> and then it's like, and then he does a cup of coffee. Uh, uh, gross. Yeah. <laughs> and it's and it isn't like if it had been. I'm going to order a lot of food and something else, and we're like, oh, we're out of the very minor detail thing and be like oh can i get pickles with that and be like we're out of pickles and like okay well i'll just have coffee instead like if that like that is a that's subverting expectations you know anyway that's, thanks for listening folks that's a stronger <laughs> <laughs> also i mean but just a demitazi i mean you gotta know what that is like you gotta have that at hand this to, is where i fade the and joke. the music comes up right, that's that's fine yeah, so and that, I don't know. I kind of feel bad that I didn't like Willow more, but you know. <laughs> no, I don't feel bad. Like it's it's like th your assessment is perfectly correct. You should feel bad. You don't like Porky Pig more. <laughs> right? I, I don't like. I take this shit seriously. <laughs>